Open your Bible to Romans 3. I'll wait. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Everybody got it? You're all there? Keep it at Romans 3. We're going to be in verses 21 through 31 today, but keep it there. I'm not going to, except for the beginning, when I'm going to go through um, and we're going to read the, the verses that we're preaching today, except for that, when I talk about or when I preach from or when I give you the, a reference to the verses that we're preaching from today, I'm not going to display it on the screen. I'm good. You have your Bible, right? So we're going to use our Bibles today. There's also pens, by the way, right there. In the, it's okay to write in your Bible. And if you took one of the pew Bibles, if you took one of these guys, it's really cool for the next person if you underline some important stuff. Because then later when they're reading it, they go, that must be important. I should pay attention to that. It's okay to write in your Bible. No, no points given off for that. So some of you had phones, though, right? And you got it all, you're dialed in, you got your... Okay, some of you, I know this, some of you are audio, you listen, you learn by listening, not by reading. So that's okay, so I'm going to be reciting verses today for your benefit, that's okay. But you, if you're both, you can read along, right? And then we write them down, if you notice that, like the little fine print that's in the bulletin insert, we write down, so you can go later. Because the Word of God is really important. And what we want you to have is an experience of the Word of God in your life every day. Not just you came to church and you heard someone preach, you heard someone talk, and they, that sounded pretty cool. That, what did he say again? That, we give you the information so when you leave on out of here, you can actually continue with it. God's Word has immeasurable worth. Immeasurable. God is speaking to us through His Word like present tense, right now. Just because it was written a long time ago doesn't mean it's not good for now. He's feeding us. We eat the word, we get nourished. And he's preparing and equipping us. He's leading us and sending us and guiding us. Psalm 119, don't turn there, stay in Romans. Psalm 119, I don't want you to get lost and not be able to get back to Romans. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's talking about you and I. That's not a verse you pick up and you point to someone and say, Hey, the word of God, watch out. That's speaking to us. That's helping us understand us. And receive from God so that we can be more effective in his call. It's imperative, friends, imperative that we get comfortable and competent handling God's word. It's imperative. And it's essential that we become comfortable and competent hearing him in prayer and in his word. Now, God's word is a sword. Have you ever heard that phrase? God's word is a sword. And most of the time we kind of get this kind of a picture of God's word, right? That's a pretty good weapon, don't you think? Could we do some damage with this? Right? Verla, do you think you can handle this? It's taller than you are.
When I got sick with COVID in May, I, don't, I could hardly lift my head, let alone feel like I could do any exercise. Some of you had that same experience, I think. But over time, I hope I don't put this in here wrong. Harder than it looks. <laughs> over time, I got stronger because I exercised. Maybe you're at this level. Maybe this is how you feel about the Word of God right now. That's okay. I want to tell you, this could do some damage. But if you never pick it up, if you never sharpen it, if it sits in the holster, if it just rides on your belt, but you never take it out and use it, if you're not used to what it feels like in your hand, if you've never carved something, if you've never punctured something, when it's time to use it, you will not know what to do with this. The Word of God, you, it, you might say, I can never absorb that entire Word of God. The pastor knows every verse by heart. How does he do that? He was an AG kid, and he got into this contest thing. And now, you know, sometimes when we get a little stronger, we grow up. Right? I could do a little more damage, right? This is actually a gardening tool. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Right? I got this because I was hunting gophers, the moles in my backyard, and I had to plant traps and I needed to, to dig nice holes, and that's what I got that for. I could still do some damage with that, but I got used to handling it. As I grew stronger after COVID, I grew stronger and stronger, and I started doing some more exercises. I can do more now. I didn't just say, that's how I'm going to be forever and ever and ever. And that's the same thing with the Word of God. You may feel like I don't know very much about the Word of God right now, but you know a verse or two. Be really, really good with that verse or two. Really good. Because there's going to be a situation where that verse is going to make a difference to you or to someone else. I got one more knife to show you. This will really make you laugh. I don't even know if you can see that. This has got the sharpest point and the sharpest blade of any knife I own. And I'll tell you what, uh, you wouldn't want to come up against me with this knife. <laughs> I could do some damage. Imagine this coming into the eye, right? It's knowing how to use it. And the same thing with the word, knowing how and when to use it. And so I just want to encourage you today. The word of God is for us. And you should be trying to gain as much of it as you can. And that's why we're preaching through Romans. There's so much in here. If you just grab one nugget today, one little pocket knife bit that you can carry around all week long and use, eventually you'll start escalating up the line. And someday, regardless of your stature, you're going to be able to wield the sword. Someday. If you're not sure where we get the sword from, Ephesians 6, you probably know this section, right? It's the armor of God. We're supposed to put on, gird our loins with truth, strap on the breastplate of righteousness, lace up our shoes with the readiness to share the gospel of peace, brace ourselves with the shield of faith, properly place the helmet of salvation, and then take up our sword. So by the way, that's not a two-handed tool, now it's a one-handed tool. That's how strong you're supposed to get. So I'm encouraging you to pursue that. 
Because once you're already in all the defensive stuff, it's time to take action for God. It comes from practice. It comes from reading it. Even when you don't understand it, it comes from talking with others about it. Go back and reread it again. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the life that we live today because of you, and thank you for the life you're leading us into. I pray that we would all take seriously the words that you've spoken to us, and that we would always seek to learn more about you and about the life we are to live. We give praise to your name now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, you've already opened your Bibles to Romans 3, so let's get ready to read, shall we? Now, I want to promise you something today. I'm not going to perfectly explain this scripture. I don't know that anybody really could. But I'm going to do what I, I'm going to give you what I got when I studied it. And then I'm going to send you out of here hoping you're going to continue to study and try to learn more. But let's read it together. Romans 3, verse, starting with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation for his, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. There's a this is like the biggest Dagwood sandwich you ever saw. Right? There is so much meat and other stuff in here that is, there's a lot to feast on here. A lot. And there's a lot of $10 words in here. Like what's a propitiation and what does forbearance mean? And Forbearance is patience if you just want, want to know. We'll just give you that one for free. But there are some very huge ideas here in this scripture. And in a sense, it's really, um, it's really the gospel. Like you, the gospel is preached in the Bible outside of the four gospels. Did you know that? Like this is Paul saying, here's the message. Some really big ideas, key doctrines. We're reading about the nature of God, his very character, the fact that he's loving and just and patient and intentional and generous. And something that's not stated directly but is clearly throughout all of this, God desires a relationship with you. He desires a relationship. That's the why behind all of this. He's done this because of relationship. And he has made the perfect solution for our completely impossible circumstances. 
God has done it. He sent the one and only righteous redemption, the one and only in the entire universe, the one and only righteous redemption. God sent him, his son Jesus. So let's take a look at some of these big ideas. The first one is righteousness. If we take a look behind what the word meaning might be, you might find things like justification and equity. Now, equity is a word we've been hearing a little bit about recently, and I'm going to get to it later. So hold on to that, equity. But je- the word ju- righteousness talks about equity. It's an important thing. Uh, is in a definitional sense, if you looked in a dictionary, you might see something that said, a state of being as we ought to be, according to the original design and intent. Like we were once meant to be a certain thing, and once we ha- are, have become righteous, we will be getting back to that thing we were meant to be at the beginning. The condition of us which will make us approved and acceptable to God. That's the context within the Bible. The righteousness is when we are in that condition, we're acceptable. You might describe it with these words, integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, and a correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. You know, the word talks about, the Bible talks about, we're all do something. That, like we, there's a price to be paid, and we're 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 due to receive the right, the proper sentence, if you will. And so, righteousness is is about a virtue that actually delivers justice. That isn't what we get. It's a virtue of God that He transfers over to us righteousness, so that we don't get what we're due. So here's a question for you, and it's in your bulletin there. Whose truth are you living today? Whose truth are you living? Because the scripture we're in today talks about the righteousness of God. So the phrase of God is really important. Because we can make a context for any kind of righteousness. We can, we can have situational ethics that cover any kind of circumstance and lead us to any kind of decision being it's okay because I'm li- living out my own truth. Romans 10, verses 2 and 3 says, I bear witness, I'll start again, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. It's important for us to understand God's righteousness. Do you see see that in that scripture? Like, you could actually have a zeal for God and not be about God's righteousness and therefore fall short. Proverbs 14.12 says, There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. The righteousness of God is proper justice with mercy. Proper justice with mercy. And it comes to all who exercise their God-given faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's what righteousness is. That sounds pretty good, right? We should want to get some of that. Yeah? Let's have that. Righteousness of God, it says in the scripture from today, has been manifested. Here's one of our $10 words. It's been manifested. To manifest something, like, I don't know, if you ever worked on a ship, there's a ship's manifest, right? There's a whole list of, well, the manifest is the list of everything that's on that ship. Nothing is hidden. There's no stowaways. 
It makes clear everything we have, and that list is checked and checked and checked and checked and checked, double, triple checked. What's the manifest? Let's show it. Let's make sure we see it. So to manifest something is to reveal it. It'd be another way of saying revelation. The righteousness of God has been revealed. Well, that would imply that it has been concealed. It's been hidden away. It's been kept from view in the past. But now it's been made visible. It's been exposed. It has been hidden. But let me tell you this. It has always existed. Christ has always existed. But the mystery of it has been revealed. You following me? Don't mistake for the fact that a manifest meant that it suddenly, God suddenly brought into existence Jesus and now he made the way. He had always been there. The righteousness of God comes through faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ and it's for all who believe. Now, I'm only going to touch on faith this week because Paul gives us a lot more opportunities in Romans to explore faith. We'll, we'll touch it a little bit have to have it. But the question I want to give you about faith is this. When do you receive your faith? Anybody, this is, I'm not asking rhetorically. I'm, I, does anybody have an answer? When did you receive your faith? It's not a trick. Anybody? When you got saved, she says. Somebody else? When you believed? Okay, the scripture tells us that, that our faith is a gift from God by grace. So I'm going to tell you, you received it prior to salvation. And then you used it for salvation. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yes? I have no idea when you received your faith. It might have been the day you were born. It might have been a minute before you got saved. There's nothing in the word that tells us when you get it other than you get it prior to salvation. The biggest question is, what will you do with what you've received? Because we also have, are born with free will. And we get a choice whether to exercise that faith or not. And so those that believe through faith in Christ are the ones who receive the righteousness. The manifestation of it has been revealed. But you have it. You have faith. And he gives it to everybody. He's given it to everybody. So the righteousness of God is given to all who exercise their God-given faith in Jesus. What does that mean to, ha to have your faith in Jesus? You've become convinced. We might say you've become convicted. Like you faced the facts that you've not done well or done right. And you know you're wrong and you know you're guilty. Or you've become persuaded of the truth about what life is like, what your sinful nature is, and what the price eventually will be for you. You've become persuaded, and you make a choice. You exercise, you spend by your free will the faith that you've been given. And what you're doing is you're saying, I put my trust in Jesus. Well, that sounds like a song. I entrust Jesus with my spiritual well-being. Because I'm not capable. But he is. And then we begin receiving that eternal treasure. That, that relationship with God. That righteousness of God for now and forever. 
And as I mentioned before, we don't have a gospel of Paul, right? We have the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we don't have a gospel of Paul. But Paul is definitely giving us the gospel here. Can you, can you sense it? It's there, right? And throughout all of his letters, Paul is giving us the gospel. I think if, you, if you're starting small with a tiny pocket knife, pull out one verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Right? Eventually you start working your way up. But this would be a great section right here in Romans to get a real grasp of. You would have a real strong grasp of the gospel if you could bring this, this to bear. If, you could, if you're in a tough situation and you remind yourself of this, this is how big God's love is, how long and deep and wide. If you're talking to another person who's not sure, let's look here. You don't have to memorize it. Just memorize the page, right? Page 1042, right? Just go there. Put a marker in. Draw circles around it. Right? And then you can open it together. But this is a great place. Second thing, and in, in next thing in your bulletin. We were meant to desire God's righteousness. We were meant to desire it. It's meant to be something that we're supposed to seek after. Matthew 6. I'm going to read you a long passage out of Matthew 6, it, and it kind of culminates in the 33rd verse, which you will recognize probably all of it, but it says this. Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God, and so many times people get their salvation and stop. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, today and ongoing. Grow to be more like him, day by day by day. Seek first. We're supposed to desire it. It should be something that almost magnetically drawing us forward. Another way to, to say this thing about righteousness and to, that we're to seek it, or even righteousness in total, is that I re, you could think of it like it has three dimensions, just to kind of give you a different way to think of this. First of all, righteousness is of God. It is his character and his nature. It's not something we can take claim to that we have created or thought of. or It's not us. It's of him. He alone is the standard of what is right. He alone is the standard. That's the first dimension of righteousness. The second dimension is that we are not righteous by character and nature. We are not. We have to be made righteous. We can't, and we can't do that ourselves, and we can't even do it for each other. We can just kind of grab each other by the arm and say, let's go in the right direction together. But we should be doing that. 
or I'm a step ahead or a step behind, let's hold on and get each other there. The way that we're made righteous is through the complete and finished work of Jesus Christ. He pays the full price for us, and his resurrection has established us in his kingdom. And I want to tell you this, his payment is enough to pay your full debt. All of it. And the interest. And the penalties. And the late fees. And the overdraws. Put any debt you got, just his payment, the debt you're going to incur today, he paid for it. The third dimension of it is once we are set free from our debt obligation, then we are to seek and pursue personal righteousness. We're supposed to seek it and pursue it, personal righteousness. We're supposed to start looking like Jesus. So this is a check yourself kind of moment. If you're truly saved, if you really are, if you've received the credit, you know, I think there's some people who go, yeah, I think you did some kind of thing, but I haven't looked into it. Like the, the credit, your, your account is clear, but you're still living like it's not. If you're really debt free because of Christ, I think what happens in your life, in my life, is you begin to hate sin. You begin to hate the things that you used to do. They become distasteful. I was one of those guys who got rid of half my record collection when I got saved. I mean, some first edition, first issue classics. I kept all the classical music with no words, right? Jazz. <laughs> some, some thought that was bad, but... <laughs> We're supposed to pursue a life where it's clearly different what is important to us. And our desires and our passions become for the things of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Big gulp here. Because we're supposed to pursue his, his kingdom and righteousness and Jesus is now saying, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees, you're not even going to make the kingdom. They go together, but they, weren't living, they were living for today, for the kingdom they could build here now. And so don't take on that form of righteousness. Follow God. Desire his ways. Desire to obey his laws. Walk in them. The ways that his word illuminates to us. And I think eventually, maybe not too long, you'll begin to naturally want to know him and spend time with him in prayer, in word, in, in conversation with others. And your curiosity will cause you to know, want to know about him. And you'll find yourself in a transitional period from the tiny pocket knife to the bigger blade to the sword, but also in your life from a believer to a follower to a disciple. And eventually what happens is someone else is going to notice that and go, what's up? And you say, come on. I was there. Now I'm not. You can do it. I'll go with you. Think of someone like Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, well-respected, but yet he knew he wasn't right with God, and he pursued through Jesus to find out what it means. And Jesus said, you have to be born again. You can't live that old life anymore. You've got to have a new life. You might also find yourself in awkward moments 
I know I went through some of these. I've been saved a long time, so this is in the distant past, but the memory's still strong. I had these awkward moments where I was suddenly being considered as a holy roller, holier than thou, who are you, you're so self-righteous, don't judge me, where I had not said a thing. The people of my former friendship groups, I had not said a thing, but yet knowing the truth in their own heart, they now saw that I had crossed over to another side. Somehow, suddenly I was standing apart from the crowd and I needed a new crowd to be a part of. You might find yourself in that in a moment in time or in your whole life. Take up your sword and remind yourself of these things. And maybe perhaps remind them. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm justified by His grace. It's a gift. It's through the redemption that it's in Christ Jesus. Now I am following my Lord as closely and best as I can, hoping that I can reflect His love the best I can. I'm praying that His Holy Spirit will give me strength, courage, humility, and patience and the determination to continue on this way because it's hard. Because I don't want to lose this friendship, but I have to go this way. Oh, one last thing you might say to that friend. You're welcome to join me. Let's go together. It's better that way. All of that's in the gospel that Paul gives us right here. We're supposed to desire his righteousness. That's supposed to be our intention. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this phrase that's in this verse. I, I love finding it. I once did a scavenger hunt through the whole Bible, seeing how many times I could find this phrase, so that. This is an important phrase in the Bible, so that. God says all this stuff, so that. This is the cool stuff over here. Don't just live on, well, God, can you give me, can you do me, can you, like even our healing. God's healing us so that he gets glory. So that we can carry out his wishes. So that is a powerful phrase. And I would challenge you today, to, when you go home, find a so that verse. There's a lot of them. But here he says, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become, we might become the righteousness of God. We can't become the righteousness of God unless there's the front half of the so that, which is Jesus taking on our sin. Yes? All right. Second big idea is redemption. Paul gives us a big picture of redemption here. In verse 24, he describes, he says, the redemption that is Jesus Christ, not the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, the redemption literally that is Jesus Christ. He's the redemption. It's a t-shirt waiting to happen right there. <laughs> we have the chosen. Maybe we'll have the redemption. Redemption is when a ransom is paid in full. The ransom is paid in full. And also, the captive is completely liberated. Completely liberated. Again, the full price is paid, but will you stand up and walk out of that prison? Will you drop the chains and just leave them behind? Will you, will you get up from that dingy old jungle mud hut and just walk out of there because 
they got nothing on you. They can't hold you any longer. Your ransom's been paid, but you've got to walk it out. The liberation is there. You've got to extend yourself out there. So it's not, again, there's, there's a two-edge to this. There's the payment and then the literally living out in freedom, being a liberated person. Verse 25 of this Romans 3 passage, it says, The redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And I'm going to get to propitiation in a minute because that's like a $20 word. So I'm going to get there. You, you'll, you'll hear about it. But I want to get you this concept right here. This whole thing is God's plan. I just want to clear up if you have any confusion about, you know, Jesus was sitting around one day in heaven saying, boy, it's not looking so good for them down there. Hey, Dad, how about if I go fix that for you? That is not how it happened. God has the plan, and God made the decisions, and God made the choices. Jesus is a willing participant, no question. But this is God, the Father, saying, I want relationship with my people, and so I'm going to send my son to make that happen. He desires relationship with each of us, with all people. So he not only has the plan, he takes responsibility. He says, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to send my son to do this work. I'm going to be separated. He's going to be separated. So again, Christ is, is agreeable and willing. He offers himself as the only true, truly suitable sacrifice to meet the requirements it says this in philippians 2 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross he had everything, and he willingly gave it up to fulfill his father's plans. We see, heard him say multiple times, I do what my father does. I do what my father commands. I do only that which is of him. That's the obedience of Christ. Three times in the garden, three times in the garden, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. If there's any way this could not be the plan anymore, but not my will, yours be done. Willingly fulfilling God's purposes and plans so that God could have restored relationship with you and me. So that. We are part of the so that, right? He did all that, so that. Next thing, next big idea is provision. This is where we're going to get into propitiation. It says God put forward his son, Jesus, as a propitiation. God put him forward. God's show and tell for the day, right? What is propitiation? It's not really that complicated. It's just this long word. I, I wish we could translate it differently so we'd understand it better now. Out of the dictionary, you would get something like an atoning victim. Chosen because it's of the highest quality and is not guilty. In those days, what the Jews were doing was trying to choose the best blemish-free animal according to how God had described to do it, picking the best animal they could to be the atoning victim and whose blood would then be sprinkled 
by the high priest once a year during the Day of Atonement. That was part of their religious practice. That's how they did it. The other place that this word propitiation is used is for the very mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. You guys can picture what happens in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple. There's all these different stops along the way. You come through the curtain, the outer court, into the first place, and you encounter uh, the butchering table, right? And all the animals are being sacrificed, and then you have the place where we wash our hands. Oh, boy, I hope I don't mess up this whole sequence. <laughs> I don't have it in my notes. I'm just going off of memory. You're going to help me. If I get it wrong, just shout it out. Uh, and then we get, uh, we get inside the inner, right? And so we're going to have, we have uh, the lamp, we have the showbread. What am I missing? Did we get to the all our kit? We're going to get to the ark. That's where we want to get anyways, right? I'm sorry. Okay, the ark of the covenant, it holds the covenant. It holds the righteousness of God. It holds what God said, this is what life should look like. If you're my true believer, if you're following me, if you're my person, my people. If we face that, we would die. So they put a lid on it. Now the lid is beautiful. It's got the cherubims and it's all gold and right? And you're almost like but what the priest would do, he would take that blood from that spotless sacrificed animal and sprinkle that onto the mercy seat. The mercy seat is there to cover and to shield us from what we're due until the right time when we can be exposed to that. And so that's called a propitiation. That, that seat, the actual place, is called propitiation. Christ was sent as our propitiation. By his blood being sprinkled. I've gotten ahead of myself. It's okay. I want to backtrack a bit. Why... Why was it that God sends a propitiation? Verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both the just and the justifier. God is not one to just say, there's a, there's a goal here, you should really be going for it and not provide a means by which we can get there. He's shown to be both the just and the justifier. So it's about, always about God trying to get into relationship with us once again. Now, propitiation was not unique to the Jews. This was not a unique word. It wasn't something that just got made up out of whole cloth. It's actually very common in every religion in some form or fashion. And the older, you know, more, we think of the more uh, barbaric religions, you know, of, of times gone past. People have always done things like make sacrifices, Right? Joe versus the volcano, right? Throw, throw your kids in, uh, you know? Uh, uh, let's see, let, another Tom Hanks movie, you know? Wilson, right? Right? I mean, you know, we've always thought of those kinds of things. We're still doing some of that stuff today, right? But I mean, but, you know, we're not putting virgins on altars, but, you know, where is our time and money going? Go home and take a look at your tattoos and just see what your focus is and your attention's on. Just saying. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't have it. I'm just saying sometimes when we make a permanent mark, we're displaying what we're permanently all about. 
So there's always been a part of religions. The Jews are not excluded from that. It's also been a part of governments from time to time. Old, you know, when it's a more autocratic, you know, one guy off with his head. You know, this is the, you lie, cut your tongue out. <laughs> All right. So I believe that, that um, we have a longing for meaningful identity and we have a longing for atonement. We want to be right. And so before I came to God, I, did a lo- I didn't sacrifice any children in volcanoes, but I spent time and money and focus and energy and effort and thought and you know, prayer and meditation, and I did a lot of that to try to figure out who I was, to try to figure out how am I going to make sense of this life And all the while, not living up to really the standards that I should have been. So the mercy seat is the lid that keeps us concealed. It was put on there so that we wouldn't die in God's presence until the right time when it could be manifested. It could be revealed that Christ is that for us. And therefore, we don't have to wait one one day every year for some high priest guy who's been preparing the whole time and I sure hope he doesn't mess up because the last guy didn't do it right and he died and we had to drag him out by the rope and I hope this guy gets it right because if he doesn't get it right we don't get the atonement that's how they were living God blew that all up he tore the curtain that's just the beginning tearing the curtain is just the beginning of separation he lifted the lid His righteousness is available, and we don't have to be afraid of it because Christ is our propitiation. That whole way that they did with the temple and everything was always meant to be temporary and a reminder and to keep them to the point of time when they'd be ready. And now God puts his son forth. Now there's a moment to become that perfect sacrifice. Let me read for you again verses 23 through 26. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. It's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the, the forbearance and passing over former sins is that people who were alive and died before Christ still had faith in God. And God's patience with them brings them into the kingdom. And it's displayed now so that going forward, we have the way. We have the way. Again, it's the very heart of the gospel. John tells us the same thing really succinctly in 1 John 4, 9. Listen to this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. That is a sharp pocket knife right there. That, that, You could live a long time on that, just that verse. Christ is our covering, our propitiation. He covers our sins. 
And God's mercy releases us from the requirements of the law. That's some pretty good news. All right. Laws are important. How many of you have broken a law recently? Oh, come on. Who drove to church this morning? Hey, come on. I'm only doing 62. I know, I know this pedometer. Paul talks a little bit here about do we have laws of works or laws of faith? And I love this phrase, law of faith. I had never recognized or acknowledged it before. The law of faith. The law of faith. That's a great phrase, the law of faith. If you lift the name of Jesus, you're exercising the law of faith. The law of faith. The laws are established by higher authorities, by God, by our governments, by our families, by our schools, by our employers, some higher authority creates a rule, a law, that that the concept being if we all follow that, it'll be good for not only me, but everybody. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes we're like, why don't we have this law? It doesn't work. And there's a constant ongoing debate. But God's laws aren't like that. They're not open for debate because they are always ready and good to go. So that's our next big idea. God is in for a complete commitment. God is the God of all. He talks about that in this verse. He's the God of Jews and Gentiles. The law of faith is for all. There's not a law of works, the old law, and then all of a sudden we get the new law. It's the same law for all. Jews were justified, it says Jews were justified by faith, and Gentiles were justified through faith. I just want to pause for a second here and say, those aren't actually different. Don't get confused by those two words. The first one implies an existing relationship. The second one implies a new relationship. And that's about all you really need to think about that. Don't get your mind tangled up in this. This is not a pocket knife verse. <laughs> it can be useful for sure, but right? don't sharpen this one too much. They're not separate faiths. We have the same faith. They're not even separate expressions of faith. God is one, and there is one way to God. See, the heart of the gospel is this. God does it for relationship. He wants there to be relationship, and he does it by relationship and through relationship. So God desires us to be restored, and so his relationship with Jesus is the by relationship part. Because of their intense, complete trust and love, Christ trusts his Father to go do the work. And it's done through relationship of Christ with us. That's the by and the through, okay? But that's, again, the heart of the gospel. So God is all in. He's completely committed. In verse 31, it says this, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And then he says this great phrase, By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Wait a second, you're thinking. We did, we, ha, ha, well, this is a technique that Paul uses, and he uses it, I think, at least ten times in the book of Romans. He reads their minds. Jesus was great at this too, right? He says, you're thinking this, and then he would tell them the answer. Paul's doing the same thing. It's a very Jewish way to have a discussion or an argument. I'll put your question on the table before you do, and then I'll put my answer on top of it. Right, you follow? That's not how we think here. We, we're polite. 
Pandora, what do you think? Well, I'm a, well, I'm, and we have this polite discussion. Or we yell, depending on your house. I mean, just how families go. If you're Italian, then it gets a little more heated. It's, right? But that's not how it works here. Paul's like, I know what you're thinking. And so he puts the question out there. So he puts a, a really strong answer on it, though. By no means is a really strong answer. So again, it's, it, he used it at least, that I could count, at least 10 times. Um, and he's basically got them thinking. He says, I know what you're saying. We've been under the law, trying our best to fulfill it. It's built into our culture, our society, our religion, our government. And now you say there's a new law of faith. Cool. Let's throw the old stuff out and just live however we want because we're free. We're liberated. That's cool. He says, uh-uh, no, no, not in my house. <laughs> By no means. Now, in the NAS, which is the translation I love to read in and I kind of grew up reading in, it says, may it never be. By no means, may it never be. This is like the opposite of amen. You know, amen is so be it. This is, may it never be, ever, not even. It's important for this Roman church to get a handle on this because he's really trying to set them straight. Like, there's a new way to live, so don't throw out the old. It's also important for us, same reason. It's the culmination and the fulfillment of the one and only way of doing it. It's not a replacement. They go together. It's the perfect balance of God's love and justice perfect balance. It's also showing us how we're to live in a way that is both faithful and obedient. Faithful and obedient. I want to show you how Paul uses this phrase, this uh, by no means or may it never be, in, in just a few places. Because we got more preaching to do in Romans. I don't want to take up all of that, steal all their thunder, but I can go backwards. Romans 3, 3, it says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Like you, the way you live cannot change God's nature. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? Right? Romans 3, 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? By no means. God is not unrighteous to give the justice that we're due. And then we have Romans 3.31. Do we overthrow the law by faith? No means. We uphold the law. And I'll jump ahead one, one place. It'll, it's a, we're still a, a month or two off from this, so you'll forget that I preached it today when we get there. Whoever's preaching that day can bring it up again. Romans 6.1. What shall we then say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That is a punch in the gut. If you've died to sin and you're claiming righteousness because of Christ, how can you still live in sin? How can you? By no means, he says. I have a few closing thoughts. Why don't we get to those? Maybe I'll ask the worship team to, to come back up while I'm kind of doing some of this. Just a few summary kind of things and one last encouragement for you. The thing about faith, this faith that we've received by grace, and I asked you when you received it, and it was before you believed, but I have to tell you this, when you're spending it, when you're giving it, offering it, using it, whatever, it's an all or nothing. You can't take your faith 
and break it apart and put a little over here and a little over there and a little over there. Faith only works when you, it's all held together. It's one piece. It's an all or nothing. God's an all or nothing God. He's all in. And the real question of faith is, are you all in with him? Or are you hedging your bets somehow? You know, I, we often talk about it as, are you letting your whole heart be available to God? I'm taking it a different angle. You have faith. He gave it to you. Are you giving it all back to him? Are you spending it all? Are you all in with him? 1 Peter 2.9, we hear this about us. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've received the mercy from God. So if you find yourself asking, how do I become more righteous? If you find yourself leaving today, how do I become more righteous? I want you to call me. I got a book. No. I want to say, if you're asking yourself that question, my answer is, by no means. May it never be. You are now righteous. God sees you righteous. He's not looking at it. You're righteous. It's done. The work is finished. If you start to claim less than being fully righteous, you are denying the work of Christ. You have to take it all, all or nothing. The better question would be, how do I become more like Christ? How do I become more like him? How do I think and feel and speak and act in ways that display his character? Ask the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, uh, God, God gives this uh, through Ezekiel. God speaks. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God himself is doing that. So give your full faith and confidence. Trust him. Now I promised you I'd talk about equity and equality. And this will be our final thought for today. There's a lot of talk these days in our country about equity and equality. God told us about equity and equality in this verse today, and I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, all have sinned. All. The wages for sin are what? That's what we all get. That's an equity of outcome. Faith is given to all. He didn't check any boxes, you know, line up short to tall. He didn't do any kind of Ah, I've seen your past life. You don't get it. All. Redemption. Salvation through Christ is available to all. God desires eternal relationship with all people. And there is one way. Express all your faith in the only righteous redemption that is Jesus. Now I want to ask you, in response, maybe you heard something that made sense today. Maybe you got a something to go sharpen your knife on a little bit I hope so but maybe you're also feeling like I'm falling short I haven't expressed my full faith I, I need to I need to re-up maybe you've never made that decision 
Maybe today's a day of thinking, I've always understood God in a whole different way. Like, I've got to measure up by living out his life the way it should be lived. Well, today's the day you can make a different choice. Today's the day you can begin again. That's what today, it, the scripture tells us his mercies are new every morning. So there's a whole 